0: How's everyone doing? Good, good. Uh, so we've had an f- interesting few days, so uh, but we've all kind of come through it, and hopefully your neighborhood has been as encouraging as as mine, just neighbors helping neighbors just getting out there, homes being open for water or showers or gas or or whatever. I just uh does a heart good uh, to see just uh, the city and the people who live in our city just coming together and uh, working truly as a community. We are truly blessed, and uh, coming from Los Angeles, I don't think it would have been the same. So uh, maybe, I don't know, but it's very good. So uh, God's put uh, something on my heart that i just, uh just really excited about sharing today, um, uh, this kind of this idea of what comes after what and how important that is, and that 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 statement will become clear hopefully uh, as as I communicate and speak a little bit, but what comes after what really changes our whole point of view as as men and women and and really is a differentiator between people uh, who are just burdened with the hurt and pain in this world and people who transcend it and make a difference for the cause of Christ. And the first what is this. And I think that this is the status quo. As we as we look at the, the brokenness in this world, as we look at the hurt, and and things like that, that we all kind of are stuck in this reality of what is. We even have a uh, a saying for it, right, is, it is what it is, right? You heard that? Or is that an LA thing? No, no, no it is what it is, right? It was what it was it was, what it was. Yeah, there you go. So, When you're thinking about that, what are some, it is what it is kind of things that we all experience, not only in our culture, but but our world? This is, I ask a question, you respond, it goes much better that way. Just yell it out. What? Broken relationships? I think I'm hearing you correctly. So just relationships, they fall apart. Broken relationships. If you sing, you can spell better and it's better penmanship. <laughs> really. I didn't know if you knew that. You learned something. Let's just say broken rail. So yeah, that it's a, you know, we we see uh marriages dissolving, we see friendships breaking apart uh for lots of different different reasons. We see families break apart. We see, um, well, you know, people fighting with each other. So there's all from uh, minor to major. What's some other things that is what it is? Just this weather. Weather is what it is. So. Oh, gosh, I'm doing a terrible job here spelling. Can I make that? I was like, whether or not I was spelling, not not weather. So okay, weather is what it is. You can't do anything about it. What's some other things? All right, let's get out of the nature kind of <laughs> realm and like poverty. Poverty. Thank you. Poverty is what it is. You know, uh, poor are always around. Poverty. Poverty. You, TY, thank you. Remember the Sesame Street where the guys like, like, warning, and he would like go and buy it the end, like it would be like some sort of like warning or like warning train and they'd get run over by the train. I don't think they have that anymore. That seems very like Gen X Sesame Street versus, do you guys, anybody remember that? Some of you older people? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they have that anymore. So What else? What is? It is what it is. What is there? Injustice. Injustice. Everybody's rooting for me. I can tell. In, injustice. I C E. Just to let you know, there is a reason I'm writing this. It'll become clear injustice. And so you get the terrorism, war, there is lots of is's, right, that just is. And I think that what is, period, is one of the kind of the biggest restrictions and things that hold us down from really living out the vision that God has for our life and really the gospel vision of of love and hope that He has for the world. And really, what we as the gospel, this is where we, uh, without the gospel, we, we are. There's nothing we can do about broken relationships. There's nothing we can do about the weather. There's nothing we can do about poverty. There's nothing that we can do about injustice and all of these kind of different things. But as people... Of the gospel, what comes after what makes a huge difference. It transfers uh, from uh, what is to people of the gospel ask the question, what if? And it makes all the difference in the word world is when we go from it is what it is to what if. What if I stepped out in the name of Christ and made a difference? What if I went and helped my neighbor across the street? What if I fed the poor? What if I, I mentored this child in the, in the inner city? What if I took responsibility and, and lived out the vision that God has for my life? And I think that as we speak and we talk about and we look at Scripture today, that we will see that this is a transcendent idea that makes all the difference in the world. That, That when we stop being controlled by the what is, and we are set free by Christ to go into the wide open spaces of what if, then lives are changed. People are healed, people are fed, people are loved. One of my favorite stories, and there's so many favorite stories about calling in the scripture, but one of my favorite stories is when Moses uh, was called by God, there was a great injustice going on in the world in Egypt. The Egyptians had enslaved the people of Israel. That they, they were forced to build bricks and pyramids and all of these kinds of stuff. And Moses had basically washed out of the Egyptian culture and he had gone out into the wilderness as kind of a recluse, kind of, kind of a, a shepherd guy, just, just doing his own thing. Maybe thinking, you know what, the Egyptian slave system is what it is. What can I do about it. And one day, God came to Moses and says, you know what? This is not acceptable. And I want you to go. And I want you to set my people free. And this starts a whole conversation about Moses trying to get out of it. And I want to pick up in that story in Exodus chapter 4. But Moses protested again. You know why it says again there? Because he had previously been protesting a lot. He's not with it, he's trying to get out of it. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, The Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. He jumped back and said, a snake. It doesn't say he said that, but I bet he said that. (laughs) Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab his tail. And he said, who am I, Steve Irwin? (laughs) Right? So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff into his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow. With a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back into the cloak, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water, or take a cup, go down to the Nile River, get some water, then come back up and dump it onto the dry ground, and it will turn into blood. Then the Lord asked, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I am not very good with words. I have never been, and I am not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled." Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether someone speaks or does not speak? Hears or does not hear? Sees or or does not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you what to say. But Moses pleaded again, Lord, Please send somebody else. You guys pray with me. Dear God, I just uh, pray that we will uh, find the intersection of Moses' story and our story. That we will not be too harsh on Moses, but we will actually see ourselves. That we will be challenged, that we will be moved, that we will be people that will not settle for the status quo. We will not settle for what is, 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 what is, is. But we will be people of the gospel, that we will become people of the what if. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot going on here, and, and really five things really jumped out to, uh, to me in this scripture that really was the idea of how Moses was just in this place of the what is and how God was trying to get him to the what if and the first thing that he did was he asked Moses what is in your hand and i think that god asks each and every one of us this same question what Is in your hand because I think the reality is we are status quo is when we are what is people, is when we look at problems like broken relationships or poverty or inequality or injustice and different things like that, we say, What can I do? I'm not the president, I'm not in Congress, I don't, I'm not, you know, Bill Gates, I don't have tons of money. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not the Pope, right? That what can I do? It is what it is. And it's always been that way and it always will be that way. And I think that Moses is sitting there looking at, at, at hey, slavery has been a part of Egypt's culture forever. What, you know, what do you want me to do? What can I do? I'm just a simple shepherd and God comes and says, what is in your hand? And I think that that's so challenging for us because you know what? I think that's the first thing that God is asking us. That God knows that you're not Bill Gates. God knows you're not the president. God knows you're not the Pope. But God does know you. He knit you together in your mother's womb for such a time as this. That he has entrusted you with experiences and passions and and different influences. And I think as we look in our hands that, you know, for some of you, it's time, that you have time in your hands. And, you know, maybe you spend it, you know, watching, you know, binge-watching Netflix or walking around Market Square looking for Pokemon to capture. Oh, I hit a nerve there. Who knows, you know, but maybe you have time in your hand. It's like, I I don't really have anything productive to do. Maybe it's energy. Maybe you have a lot of energy and you just don't know what to do with it. That's annoying. That's in your hand. But God can redeem that using that energy. Maybe you have patience. Maybe you're a patient person that you... that that, that's in your hand, that that, that's just one of the things how God has wired you. Maybe it is money. Maybe it is uh, influence. Maybe you know people. Maybe you are able to motivate people to come together and to do something greater than they could do on their own. How about this one? Maybe in your hand is retirement. And what do you do with that? Or maybe it's experience. Maybe you have experience in something that, that, you know what? You're just not doing anything with. I've said it, that I believe that the next wave of gospel missionaries are going to be business people, using their experience to to forward the cause cause of Christ in a different way, in a a different way that engages our culture. Make no... You have no surprise that there are many uh, uh, activists, corporations out there forcing their values down America's throats. And we can either just say that's the way it is, or we can say what if business people came together and looked at work in a different way, in a way that can influence culture for the better. What is in your hand? And this is the first thing. And, and uh, Moses looked at it, and, and, and it was a staff. Now, what's a staff represent? Stability, okay. Support. It also, uh, position, occupation. You know, just like, hey, I'm a shepherd. I got a shepherd's staff. I got something like that. Protection. I think I heard somebody say protection and things like that. That was what was in Moses' hand. This is what, you know, he moved his sheep with. I don't know the technical term for it, but, you know, he moved his sheep with it. He did his shepherding things with his stick. It was who he was, and and it made up who he was. Another And then God says, look, I have this in your hand, and now I want you to throw it down. But I think it's an interesting thing that, you know, first God says, what's in your hand? And then the next thing is, throw it down. And if you think about the staff being protection and all sorts of things like that, and position and security, that, that what was in Moses' hand was the, the life that he had made up, was, was his whole existence. It was his occupation, it was his protection, it was all these things, and that enormous amount of trust that it would would have uh, had to been for him to throw it down and to completely release it and see what God does with it. And you know what happens when we throw down what is in our hand, the thing that that we're hopeful for or identifies us and we, we give it to God? That God can change that. In the, in the case of the shepherd's staff, what is a staff physically for you nature people now? It's a stick, but what kind, what's a stick? Yeah, but is it, it's wood. Is it alive or dead? It's dead. It dead. It is what it is, right? It's a dead piece of wood. It is a stick. It is, has no life. And he throws it down, and what happens? It comes to life into something that, that shows life and power and possibility. And for some of you, what's in your hand is dead and lifeless, and it's not growing anymore. And it's time to throw it down, because when we throw down the dead, we know this from the gospel, what is dead, God can make alive again. Also, you know what that stick was, that staff was? Let me take you back a step. Have you ever gone hiking with multi-generational people? Does a 10-year-old use a staff? What do grandparents, older people use? They, They actually use the ski poles now right? Yeah, but yeah, they, they use something. Why? Stability. stability. It, it, it's honestly, if you just want to break it down, the, the staff is to bring stability. It is, it is a, a symbol of frailty. It is a symbol, because you know what? When you're young and you're vigorous, you don't need a staff. You don't want a staff unless you want to beat your brother or sister with it, Right? So for Moses, this was not only a source of his income, but it was also a symbol of his frailty. And God turned it into a symbol of his power. And when it got thrown down and and turned into a snake, that he went through, you know, this first sign, and then he went into the the second, uh, the second, to say, you know what, now put your hand in front, of, inside of your cloak. Now, on the hierarchy of miracles, you know, the whole, hey, Moses, put your hand in your cloak and he pulls it out and now it's diseased. It's not so, such a great miracle, right? I could do without that miracle. Like the snake thing, that's kind of cool. In the, in, the, in the water in the Nile and pouring it in blood. And I like that. I wouldn't like the... Whoa... God's mad at me because uh, I'm dissing his miracle. (laughs) But honestly, you know, it's like God's like, hey, put your hand in there. And and, uh, it comes out diseased. And you're like, oh, thanks, God. And And then he's like, put it back in. And he's like, it's all good. And it's like, you know, what's going on there? And here's the reality is that I think what God is trying to do is move Moses from situational faith into transcendent faith, because the reality is the path that Moses was going to be going on and the path that we all go on, that there are going to be circumstances that rock our world, that are like white disease in our life. And for some of us, that's divorce. For some of us, that sickness is relational. So for some of us, that can be mental illness. For some of us, that can be financial illness. For some of us, it could just be illness, illness, right? And we've all experienced that. And as we go forward and, and moving from people that are in the what is to the what if, being able to transcend that, we have to transcend the circumstance in which we in. We have to grab hold onto the truth that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Because if we give up as soon as the circumstances go bad, then we will all give up very quickly. And then the third one about going to the uh, Nile River and the blood. But I wanted to actually take a step back and look at these three miracles. And if you think about them, the, the staff being thrown down, the hand in the cloak, and then going down to the Nile, what do those three miracles have in common? What's that? Okay, he couldn't have done them themselves, himself, unless he had a split personality, right? Himself, it required him to do something, right? Moses. In order to experience that miracle, Moses had to throw, throw down his staff. In order for mi- Moses to experience that miracle, he had to put his hand into his cloak. In order for him to experience the miracle of water turning into blood, he had to go down to the Nile. And I think that this is the next thing that, that we can know, that we can rest assured that God is going to do his part but you have to do yours. There is a reason that we are all here. I deeply believe this. That I believe that God has a vision and a plan for his church and for each individual. And that we have a role to play. That we are being called into the what if. The what if I'm strong enough and and courageous enough to throw down my staff to release who I think I am and to go into what God has envisioned me to be. Otherwise, if you think about it, why are we here? I mean, it's the big question in life, right? Why are we here? If we're just sitting around waiting to go to heaven, then why hasn't God taken us? Because he wants to make himself known. That there are still people in this world who he desperately loves. And guess what the mechanism is for them to know about God's love? Look left, look right. It's us. God will do his part, but you have to do yours. But Moses still was not convinced he still pleaded, he says, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words I have never been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then God says this, go. I heard you and it was a little awkward because you stuttered and things like that, but I made it through, now go. And the reality is, is we all have reasons why we can't. Every single one of us is like Moses. We have reasons why we live in the world of what is. And we do not venture into the wide open dangerous spaces of what if. And it's no different for Moses and it's no different for you and it was no different for me. I just want to tell you a reality and just share with you. When I was in high school, I was a rotten human being. I was selfish. I did what I wanted. I didn't care who I hurt. I engaged in self-destructive behavior. And then... I fully immersed myself into capitalism, and I just wanted to make money, and I just didn't want to deal with anybody. There's another reality that I, and most of you know this, but uh, I flunked out of high school in the ninth grade with a 0.00 average. I was tested with severe dyslexia, I had uh, third, fourth grade reading level, one of the the most terrifying things in school for me growing up was being asked to read in front of the class. In fact, when I was uh, in elementary school, I had a teacher who would have me read on purpose, trying to get me over my poor reading. And, And I would... I would die inside when I had to do it because I knew when I went out to recess, I would hear the chant I always heard, Mark, Mark, he's not smart. He would do better reading in the dark. That's buried deep in my soul, and it'll be there till the day I die. I can hear the chants as we sit there. So when God called me to leave the marketplace in Los Angeles and to come and be a church planner here in Tallahassee. I had all sorts of reasons why I can't. I can't because I'm a rotten, unredeemed individual. I can't because, you know what, I think one of the job descriptions of a pastor is reading scripture in front of people. And guess what? People of God are kind of funny about you write read, reading the correct words. I have so many people come up to me who are new and they're like, "What translation do you use?" <laughs> I use the Mark Dyslexic translation. It's coming out soon in a bookstore. We all have reasons why we can't. Moses had reasons, I have reasons. You have reasons. But when we give into those reasons of why we can't, we suffocate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when I look at Scripture, when I read Scripture, He uses the most unlikely people. All of them can't without one thing, and that's the supernatural power of the living God to move them from their circumstance and trans- move them into a transcendent faith. We all have reasons why we can't, and as I transition from being the lead pastor of Element 3 and to leading... Uh, red eye, I've kind of uh, picked up this, uh, this verse. It's been kind of rolling around. I want to share it with you. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The reality is that fear and timidity is the enemy. It keeps us firmly in the camp of what is. And it does not allow us to venture into the wide open spaces of what if. You know what? There are a thousand reasons why it would be better if I stayed the lead pastor of element three. Except for one. Jesus has called me to do something else. He has called me once again, into the wide open spaces of what if. What if we can do something different, we as a community, to impact our community and our world? There's fear. In a couple of years, once this transition is, is, is all, you know, is all said and done, you know, where will God have me? Right. I have some ideas, but I don't have any guarantees. There's fear. There. There's also timidity. There's there's something that God has has given me. I believe, and I'm, uh, I'm going to share it with you guys. And I could be timid about it and hold this inside. But this is something that I want to share with all of you. And it comes in the form of a hashtag. (laughs) Hashtag 1M2026. This is something that is is driving me this is something that I think about when I go to bed and I think about when I when I wake up what does it mean this is what it means that I believe that red-eye coffee will be able to invest in gospel initiatives one million dollars by the end of 2026 that I know we're going to have to have partners. I know that we're going to have to join with other people. I know that the paradigm is going to have to radically shift. But I, I want to see what would that look like if our church started had this ministry grow to the point where it was a major funding in, engine for gospel initiatives, where we see youth being mentored, we see we see the poor being fed in, in Tallahassee. That we see our missionaries being supported around the world. That we see people being grown in, the, in a sustainable funding engine through what was born in the hearts and minds of our church. But it's going to take people to say, you know what? What is in my hand? Am I experienced in business? Am I experienced in, in, in customer service? What am I experience, experienced in? Because the reality is that this is not just a, a Mark thing. This is an E3 thing and really a Tallahassee thing that we will join together. And I share this with you for two reasons. One, I want you guys to understand where I believe God is calling me and hopefully many of you. But also I share this with you because I want you to be inspired. I want you to have your own gospel hashtag. The thing that you say, you know what, what is in my hand? And what if, I threw it down. What could God do with it? And what is my part in this new paradigm? I started following Christ not because I needed more of the status quo. When Christ called me, Christ said... You know what? If you follow me, I will take you places you never dreamed you would go. You will meet people that you never dreamed you would meet, that you will experience things that are larger than you, that are God-sized. And I have experienced that every step of the way. And I got to tell you, I'm greedy. I want more. I want to see more of what God has in store for me and our church and the different uh, mission, uh, missions that we uh, are supporting. Because I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. And I believe that He is the breaker of chains. And that I believe that, honestly, the body of Christ, when we come together together, We are like an unstoppable force. You guys pray with me.